Well, brothers and sisters, this is our last in the series on the Ten Commandments this time around. And so I want to take a little bit of, mo- a little bit of time to remind us what all these Ten Commandments are. And so uh, listen for a moment uh, carefully to the commandments. This is what God said to the people of Israel and to us. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is heaven, in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord, your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and consecrated it. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. The word of the Lord. Amen. Now, if we remember, we remember that Jesus says that all of these commandments, all of the law, indeed, all of the law and all the prophets, which, which includes not only the Ten Commandments, but everything from the beginning of Genesis until the end of the Old Testament, every single thing that is in there is summarized by two commandments, the great commandment the two commandments that are actually one commandment which is of course love the lord your god with all your heart mind soul and strength and love your neighbor as yourself there is no commandment greater than these jesus says to us in the book of matthew And as we've been talking about these commandments, and we remember that the New Testament teaches us very clearly that we cannot, on our own, keep these commandments. Indeed, in some ways, the Old Testament understanding of the law ends up being a convictor of guilt. 
in that it shows to us, it demonstrates to us by our own consciousness, consciences, and our own understanding that we are indeed guilty of these things. And especially once we understand the heart of these things, especially once we understand, of course, for example, that Jesus teaches us that even being angry with your neighbor puts you in risk, at risk of the fires of hell, right? Once we understand the heart of those commandments and we understand the high, high, high requirement and expectation that God has for us in keeping those commandments right down to the heart of them, then we see very much how guilty we are without something being done to transform from guilt and conviction to something else. And God, by His covenant grace, has given us Jesus as His Son to make that transformation for us. So that we, like the Jewish people who were embraced in the covenant of God in the Old Testament, we, like them, are also embraced into the covenant of family of God. And through Jesus Christ, we have been forgiven for all of our sins. And not only that, but the law is then transformed into something else. It is transformed into the opportunity to be free from these sins. So if we remind ourselves, we remember that really, essentially, the first two commandments could be translated under the understanding of what Jesus has done for us. They could be translated as free from idolatrousness. That because of Jesus and His work in us, we can be free from worshiping anyone or anything other than God. And secondly, when we move on to the third commandment, we can can remember to honor God. We can be free from treating God cavalierly, from treating God with contempt. We can be free from, from treating God as anything other than what He is. Not only the God who created and sustains all things every moment, every moment, but also the Savior of our souls and also the friend who is closer than a brother and also the one who has sacrificed all for us and who is love. And fourth, we can be Free, we can be free from either laziness on the one hand, doing nothing, or on the other hand, we can be free from being a workaholic. Instead, we can constantly and consistently, whether we are working or whether we are resting, we can live in a state of resting in God. Being free from the worry or the laziness being free from the the fretting or the ambition 
that goes beyond what God wants for us. And instead, we can work in the blessed rhythm of life and work and rest that God has created for us. We can be free from treating humans with anything less than love. As we move on to the second tablet of the law, the the second tablet that focuses on our relationships with each other. We can be free from treating our parents contemptuously. We can be free to honor them, not because they are perfect and not, not mistakenly honoring them as in doing everything they say blindly or not mistakenly honoring them even though they are doing terrible things, but rather honoring them by doing what is right for them and with them and alongside them and sometimes perhaps even in spite of them. But we can be free of contempt for our parents. We can be free of murderousness, even in our hearts. The, the, the hatefulness, the spite, the anger, the, the resentfulness of other people. Even the freedom from, from hating those who are far away or we don't know. I, I have to pause for a moment and, and tell you an experience that Aaron had at school this past week. And, and, and it's, it's tough. And, and don't judge them because it's complicated. But when news came of the Queen's passing to one of his classes that he was in, there were people in the class who were applauding. And, and it's similar in a way to what we talked about with the flag that was just out of town. Right? It, neither one is okay from a Christ follower's standpoint. We can be free from that kind of murderousness. The desire to hate or the desire for someone's death or or the desire for things to be bad for them. Even if we don't approve of what they have done, even if we don't like what they have done, we can nonetheless Love them. Free from murderousness. Free from adultery. The the sin that cripples us and cripples those with whom we engage in adulterousness. We can be free from that. We can be free from theft or even the heart of theftliness, if I can say it. We can be free from the desire to manipulate and work against our neighbor by bearing false witness against them. And indeed, the catechism tells us that we can be free to always work for the good of our neighbor and build them up and strengthen them. And we can be free, finally, as we look today at the 10th commandment, we can be free of covetousness. Free of envy. No matter where you look, it is true that somebody seems to have a better life than you. Somebody has things going on better than you do, better than I do. Can you, be, can you imagine being free of ever looking at somebody else's life or things or family or whatever and going, oh man, I wish I had that. Can you imagine being that content? 
So my question for you is, what, what is one thing that particularly resonates with you that you would really like to be free of? Right? Would you like to be free of idolatrousness? I kind of, kind of hope that every single one of us really, really wants to be free from that. Right? Do we want to be free from, from misunderstanding or, or denigrating who God is, looking, looking badly upon who God is, or treating God cavalierly? Do you want to be free from workaholism, or do you want to be free from, from laziness? Do you want to be free from treating your parents with contempt? Do you want to be free from murderousness or hatefulness? Do you want to be free from adulterousness? Do you want to be free from envy, whether that's stealing and, and grabbing from other people, or, or whether it's you know, manipulating for the bad of your neighbor, or whether it's just looking at them with envy? Do you want to be free of those things? What is it that you want to be free from? As I look at these commandments for myself, I find it really hard to pick one. You know, if you had to pick one, I want to be free from them all. I, it is so, so enticing to me to think about a life where I am free from all of those things. I am so secure in who God is and who I am and the work of sanctification that the Holy Spirit is doing in me is so far along that even when Satan comes along knocking with his temptations, it's like, no, why would I want that? That was just, those are chains. Those are weights. Those are millstones around my neck. Who would want that? Why? I've tasted the freedom. And oh, is it so good? Right? Right? I was talking with the catechism kids this morning and, 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 I, and I grew up and, and I have to be careful because I, I'm not at all sure that this was anybody's fault or anything like this. I do not want to disparage you know, the pastors I had as a kid growing up or anything like this, uh, it's cloudy enough and far enough away that I don't even really remember. But somehow, I ended up with what I've just coined as a phrase in my head, the grovelly worm syndrome, <laughs> right? This sort of idea that you are so pathetic, and that if you grovel enough, and if you work hard enough, 
And if you beg God enough for forgiveness, then God being God, He will deign to forgive you. And it is certainly true that God by right, He he does not need to forgive us of anything. And it is also certainly true that apart from God, I can do nothing good. But it's skewed. But because, because of Jesus Christ, we remember through His example what it means to be human. And what it means to be human is to be like Jesus in being free from all of these things and instead endowed with, imbued with, filled with, to the brim and overflowing with love. Love which, love which is not like Valentine's card love. Love which is not wishy-washy. Love which is not weak. But love, love, the kind of love that creates and sustains everything there ever is or was or will be. Love that would sacrifice itself even for its enemies. Love that will tell you the truth even when it hurts. Love that will correct and rebuke. Love that will walk alongside. Love that will be merciful and gracious and righteous and holy all at once. That kind of love is what Jesus showed us, reminded us of, we were designed to be filled with. Are you familiar with J.R.R. Tolkien's uh, The Lord of the Rings series? Right? If you are, you know that one of the, one of the main characters, um, Frodo, um, he is given a, a gift by a good elf named Galadriel. Um, he is given a vial with the light of a star in it. And he is able to hold up that vial in the darkest of places. And it shines forth with a brilliance that even will hurt the giant evil spider Shelob. (laughs) Right? This is what we are to be like. Not not the spider. (laughs) We are to be like that vial. A clear, crystalline vial that shines forth the light of God. Not for our own glory, but in reflecting out the light of God to the people around us. And so, brothers and sisters, that is what God has called us to be. That is what God designed us for. That's what it means when God says that we are created in His image. That we are created to shine forth the love of God. The love of God that includes all of this holiness and righteousness and mercy and grace and justice and peace and all the other things that are uh, what theologians would call communicable attributes of God. And yet, in our world, 
in our world, we are so encumbered by these things, things that in a way, in comparison to the picture we have just painted, are so small, so pathetic, so ugh. Listen to what the Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer 113, 114, and 115 say about the 10th the commandment, but also about all of the commandments in total. You can read the answer along with me again. What is God's will for you in the 10th commandment? That not even the slightest thought or desire contrary to any one of God's commandments should ever arise in my heart. Rather, with all my heart, I should always hate sin and take pleasure in whatever is right. 114. But can those converted to God obey these commandments perfectly? No. In this life, even the holiest have only a small beginning of this obedience. Nevertheless, with all seriousness of purpose, they do begin to live according to all, not only some, of God's commandments. 115. No one in this life can obey the Ten Commandments perfectly. Why, then, does God want them preached so pointedly? First, so that the longer we live, the more we may come to know our sinfulness and the more eagerly look to Christ for forgiveness of sins and righteousness. Second, so that while praying to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit, we may never stop striving to be renewed more and more after God's image until after this life, we reach our goal, perfection. Brothers and sisters, we have to look at these things in a little bit of context, right? Uh, question and answer 114, for example, but can those converted to God obey these commandments perfectly? No. In this life, even the holiest have only a small beginning of obedience. I think, brothers and sisters, that this was in part a, a message that I heard when I was a kid, whether, whether rightly or, or wrongly in my own messed up head. And, and, and that I think we can emphasize that wrongly to lead us towards grovelly worm syndrome a little bit, right? We have to be careful about this, right? Ultimately, God is infinitely good. And I've used this illustration before, I think. Right? God is infinitely good. And infinitely good by definition, I think, you know, any mathematicians around can correct me if I'm wrong, but any portion of infinity that is not infinity itself is basically infinitesimal. Very, very small, right? Infinity is something that is beyond, right? 
And so if you are to look at you and I and so on and so forth, we live to be maybe 100, whatever, if things are good, right? The journey that we will have been on, some among us may look like and may in some senses compared to other humans have some really good stuff going on. God may have worked in them in some, some seriously special and wonderful ways so that we look at them and we say, oh my goodness, wow, God has done amazing things to them or in them or with them or through them or perhaps in spite of them, right? You look, uh, you know, you look at somebody like Mother Teresa, perhaps, right, when she was alive. You know, there was an awful lot of amazing good things that God did through her and with her and, and she had a lot of wisdom and stuff. But she would be one of the first to tell you that she is nowhere near perfect, right? And that she lives longer and God shows her more things, convicting her of sin, but also teaching her and growing her. And, and so we have to be careful with that, right? Not that we give up hope that we cannot live more closely to what God has, has, uh, has called us for, but rather precisely the opposite. That just as it says in 115, that we strive always to reach our goal, perfection. And, and see, this is the thing. This is a hard thing, at least for me. I have a bit of a problem, which, you know, I've confessed to you before I have problems. One of my problems is that I'm not really okay with anything in this world being less than perfect, including myself. And that sometimes that's a problem, right? Because I have a tendency to sort of think that nothing I do is good enough, right? And, and, and in, a, in a sense, that's sort of true. I also have a tendency then sometimes to get really sad about the state of the world. Everything from the mess in the back hall of my house Right? I look at it and go, oh, the world is broken. There's cardboard on my floor. Right? Everything from that to like, ah, the world is 30 seconds from midnight on the doomsday clock because crazy people are running the world and trying to nuclearize everybody. <laughs> and everything in between can make me sad. Right? That's a problem. There's some little kernel of truth in that, in some way, we shouldn't ever be content with anything less than perfect. Because that's what God wants. That's what God created us for. God created us to grow into perfection. As, as God is perfect. At the same time, we need to have the grace that God has to recognize that 
He is patient with us. He loves us. He has poured out his salvation upon us so that the gap between the imperfect that I am and the perfect that God calls me to is filled with the grace of Jesus Christ. And not only that, but his, his, his Holy Spirit lives within me to move me along in that direction so that, yes, someday I will reach that. After I'm dead and raised again, but hey, I'm good with that. So, so, if I were to ask you today, if I were to ask you today, I, I'm going back to my what do I want to be free from the most, right? What do I want to be free from the most? And, and I've got to say, huh, this is not, wow, that's so tough. The thing that bugs me the most about myself right now, the thing that bugs me the most about myself right now is probably and I'm not just saying this because it's the proper Sunday school answer or something, is this idolatrousness. If I really worshipped God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, then I think it's probably true that I wouldn't worry about stuff because all my trust would be in my God. All of my reliance would be on Him. I wouldn't be worrying about what people think about how long my lawn is. I wouldn't be worrying about what... It's getting kind of long. <laughs> it's true. My lawnmower is broken, so don't judge me. No. <laughs> Right? I wouldn't be worrying about what tomorrow is going to bring. I wouldn't be worrying about you know, um, whether I did the right thing there or I didn't do the right thing. I would care about those things, but I wouldn't be worrying about those things because I'd be relying completely and totally 100% on God. I worship Him and nothing else comes close. I think if I had to pick one that bugs me the most right now, it's that I, I can't say that 100% of my life I am living 100% in this place where I worship God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. What about you? If anybody has the courage, you don't have to, but if you, if you want to, if you're willing to, what's the one that you are bugged by, that you want to be free from the most right now? Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. So the fear of, of other people, uh, the fear of what you, what we might think gets in the way of you worshiping God with all that heart, mind, soul, and strength and freely doing so. Amen, sister. Amen. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, amen. Oh yeah, oh yeah, we're getting there. Oh yeah, yeah, that's huge. Right? Anybody else? Anger. Anger, right? That, that's kind of in the murderousness realm. Not, not that you've murdered anybody, Ken, but, but right? Like, wow, I've got to be careful, right? <laughs> yeah, right? That anger, right? And, 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 you know, often psychologists say that often anger is, is rooted in, in fear, right? There is something that you are afraid of is at risk. And so you respond with anger, right? It's a little bit like the parents who get super angry with their kid when they arrive home late after curfew, right? Often they're angry not just because the kid disobeyed, but because they're afraid of what will happen to their kid. What could happen. Thank you, Kent free from anger, free from murderousness. Anybody else? Yeah. Okay. Right. Being, being tolerant of those with whom you work teenagers, whomever, right? <clears throat> that, that tendency to look down on others a little bit, maybe subconsciously or maybe, maybe consciously, frustrating, right? Um, freedom to love our neighbor as ourself. Yeah. Anybody else? Thank you for sharing those. And brothers and sisters, there is profoundly good news for you and for me in this whole series on the Ten Commandments. And, and the good news on this is uh, threefold. The good news on this is threefold. Number one, the good news is that Christ has already won the victory for you, right? Christ has already won the victory for you. He came, He lived, He walked among us as a human being, as perfectly God and perfectly human, and He showed us, yes, He demonstrated what it means to live this perfect life, this life that we are called to live, and then in love, He sacrificed Himself for us so that we could be adopted into, we could be forgiven, we could be enveloped within the family of God so that you and I, brothers and sisters, are co-heirs with Christ. We are heirs of the kingdom. We are restored to a state where the crystal, the vial of God's light is already in some mysterious 
theological but yet very real way shining out from us no matter how flawed our daily existence may be. There is a reality in which Paul says even now we are seated in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. We are already victorious in this, which means that you already in some way that is, that is not a small thing, but is complete and total, you are already what God called you to be. Part one, that good news. Because of Jesus, you're already victorious. Part two, is that God is not content to leave it in this weird sort of already not yetness where where the things you do and the things I do every day don't line up with the reality of what Jesus has done for us. No, 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 no. He's not okay to leave it that way. And so he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that is living in you right now. And the gift of the Holy Spirit is not just for things like speaking in tongues or, or performing miracles in obedience to God. It is that as well. But also the Holy Spirit is the divine being living within us each and every day, working with us, working alongside us, sometimes working in spite of us to clean house so that the day-to-day can more and more resemble the reality of what Christ has done for us. So you're not alone. You are not alone. God himself dwells within you and is working on cleaning your house so that the inside matches the reality of Jesus' victory for you. So this work that we are not to be content until we have reached perfection after we have died and been resurrected as the imperfect puts on the perfect, the incorruptible puts on the, or the, sorry, the corruptible puts on the incorruptible, right? That is going on even now and it is no small thing. Now, you and I are free to work against that. We can struggle against the work of the Holy Spirit if we really want to. But do we really want to? Well, sometimes we're tempted, but come on. Can you imagine living day to day in the freedom that we talked about before? Free of all this stuff, free of idolatrousness, free of murderousness, free of covetousness, free of uh, uh, adulterousness, free of theftliness free of all these things, whoa, right? Why would you not want that? And so it's, it's happening right now, right? That's part two of the good news. Christ did it. He's victorious already for you on your behalf. Second of all, you're not alone and the reality, the, the reality of your day-to-day life, the Holy Spirit is working to make it line up with the reality of Christ's victory. And number three, we have the, the last and best. Well, not best. They're all good. They're all the same, right? The reality is that it will be finished. It will be done. You may feel like you're never going to get to the place where you're no longer dealing with this sin or that temptation or the other thing. and uh, But it is going to be done. It is such a sure thing that God will finish 
the work that he has started in you, that the particular verb tenses that are used in the scriptures around this indicate that it is a future action that is completed, which is weird. We don't have a verb tense that works like that in English. A future thing that is completed. Right? It is done. Yeah, yeah, the final fulfillment, the, it's, we'll see it in the future, but it's done. On that day, when you are raised incorruptible and meet Jesus in the air, then you will see on that day that it had already been done, <laughs> that God had already done it, and we just didn't see it, maybe. And so, brothers and sisters, this is what we get to do from here on out. We get to live in the reality of Christ's victory for us. And in the reality that it is done, future, future revelation aside, it is done. And in the meantime, the Holy Spirit working away alongside us, within us, sometimes in spite of us, to make it more and more real today and tomorrow and the next day. So please, brothers and sisters, go from this place knowing that God has given you and me all that we stand in need of to be that clear crystal reflecting God's image to all the world around us. And that the, the reality of being free from covetousness, being free from adulterousness, being free from murderousness, being free from idolatrousness, all of those realities are current realities and all that has to happen is that you have to walk alongside gratefully with the Holy Spirit, receiving the gifts of God and, and ideally working with Him to accept those in your life. So your homework for today is to accept the ongoing working of the Holy Spirit in anticipation of the truth of the reality of God's already accomplished work in Jesus Christ. I think we can do that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much that you teach us. You teach us 
what it means truly to be human through your son Jesus Christ especially, that we can see that, that we can see that the image of God in us is to live as a people of love who love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and who love our neighbor as ourselves, who are free from all of these things, idolatrousness and adulterousness and, and free of hate and murderousness and theftliness and manipulationliness and all these things, O oh God. But instead, O oh God, that we can live, <laughs> we can live as a people free to love. Thank you, O God, that your Son, Jesus Christ, has already won the victory for us. Thank you, O God, that you have sent your Spirit to live within us to do that house cleaning that we so need. May we work alongside and with the Spirit in that. And Lord, may we do so in the full recognition that the work is done. Yes, we may not see its final fruition until we are brought face to face with you. But nonetheless, O God, it is no less sure. So God, may we go forth in faith, hope, and love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.